Hello and welcome back to Ear Read This. Uh, on yesterday's podcast, I was talking to Michael Smith about the alliterative Mort Arthur. And today's episode is an extended interview with Michael, where I ask him more specifically about his uh, work as a translator, his printmaking, and where he got started with all of this medieval poetry and Arthurian business. If you'd like to see or purchase any of Michael's prints, or his book of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, or if you'd like to pledge towards his upcoming publication of the alliterative Mort Arthur, which I think you have still have three days to do, for all of the above, visit www.mythicalbritain.co.uk. Uh, a huge thank you once again to Michael. It was a real delight talking to him, and I hope you enjoy the episode. When did you first sort of get into, uh, well, medieval literature, but, but also tr- translation? Uh, well... The story is rather it's rather uh, banal and uh, not greatly interesting, and sometimes I wonder why I ever why it ever why I ever started out on this journey. But um, <laughs> I mean, my my background, as you, as you probably know, I'm a I've read history, so I'm a historian by uh, nature. But I always had an interest in um, well, I suppose well, that's Shakespearean English or just the English language and what you can do with it uh, from a from a from a musical point of view, and um, I'm not—I wouldn't call myself a poet, uh, but I just like to play with flow. Anyway, that sort of has lain dormant for many years as I was compelled to follow a career. Um, but in recent years, I trained to become a printmaker mm. uh, because it's one of my other interests. And and then one day, I did these images of Gawain in the Green Knight, and I thought I'm going to make some greetings cards and put some messages inside uh, translating se- the translated sections and then I thought oh there'll be a copyright issue here so and so the story begins <laughs> do it yourself <laughs> that took me five years wow. um, uh, because I had an absolute zero uh, knowledge and uh, and you know after the first I got through Gawain the first time round, and, uh, and I was having a beer with a friend of mine by Lake Coniston and he said, oh, I said, really, yeah, it's a fascinating poem, that, Mike. He said, it changes tense the whole time, doesn't it? And I said, yeah, that's right. And in my head, I said, what? does it? <laughs> <laughs> so I went back and I, bloody hell. Oh. So I had to go back to the beginning, start again. And then I went back again because of then I wanted to work on the alliteration. And I think I went through it three or four times uh, prior to the, when it eventually got published, when we had to go through it one more time at proof stage. Uh, even now, I'm not greatly satisfied with it, uh, although um, I still like it as a piece of work. Um, uh, so that's how the story started, and uh, and right. so and then I, then the Arthur one was sort of built on that really, with the lessons I learned through Gawain, mm. and um, so now I have my method, and it works it works really well for me now. Um, but God, it's painful at the time. <laughs> so, um, but the the printmaking came first. It did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ah. And and, and uh, what what brought you what what took, brought you to that? Um, well, I, I was yeah. Well, yeah. I was to, I was talking to a friend of mine one day, and she said you'd be good at at printmaking. <laughs> so uh, she said, why don't you book yourself onto this course? So I did, and uh, which is at the Kerwin Print Study Centre near Cambridge, and. Um, and I met some friends there and gradually my technique started to improve. And what those courses do, they help you to find out what, which method suits you best. And um, almost like doing an apprenticeship, if you like, in the old days style of working out skills. 
and uh, uh, so uh, I ended up finishing on Linocut, and um, so that's how that developed. And uh, I mean, the, the the trouble with all of this. So you see the final illustrations in Gawain and so on. Uh, the pain involved in creating each of those, <laughs> the thumb work, uh, the endless nights on your own listening to music, cutting these gouges. Uh, you know, it's uh, everyone else has gone to bed and you're just you're working on Guinevere's eyebrow or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, why am I doing this? <laughs> what is the point? But, um, you know, it's as any artist will tell you, when you finished a piece of work, they're not interested in it you move on to the next one. Mm. And so you, you can't sit still uh, when, you're in create, when you're creating things. And so uh, that's why I have to keep going with that as well, because I know I can do better. And uh, every time you look at a piece of work, you think, well, that's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If it's not too painful, um, would you be able to describe the process of the lino cut? Uh, for us oh yeah okay so you start with a piece of lino or or some other forgiving material which will take ink mm. uh, i tend to use a kind of a tile uh rubberized tile which is similar to lino and then you have a range of cutting tools and i will draw out loosely whatever image i want to create um on the tile and then i will start to work it and in uh when you're doing lino or relief printing, it, what you don't cut away is what ends up being printed, if you can imagine that. So you're working in reverse. Everything you cut will not be printed. Um, so, so therefore, the white space has to serve two purposes. One is to um, create spaces between the things that are going to appear. And the other is to define the objects and make them um, what they are on the page. Mm. Um, now it gets more complicated than that because in some instances you may have seen uh, or if, indeed if you look at the back of Gawain as a classic case there that, that print in reality of the Green Knight is 12 inches square and comprises of three plates of ink so it was blue, green and yellow and, uh, and so you have to cut them to you register them so they all match with each other and you cut different parts away from each so that together they sing uh, a, a three or four color song. And if you look at some of my four color prints, like the one I've done recently for King Arthur, I think out of four plates, through careful cutting and thinking backwards with each plate, I think there might, might be seven or even nine colors emerging from those four plates wow. as you print each layer on top of the other. So it sounds like for for Gawain, you you start in these sort of translating short sec short sections before you tackled the whole thing after you'd done the the yes. prints. With this uh, with this latest one, is there is there a kind of um, toing and toing and froing between the prints and the the translation? Do they inform each other or or help each other at all? Oh, God, I tell you what, actually, this one was really difficult. Um, with literature Mort Arthur. Mm. Uh, when I first started the project, I wanted to illustrate it with pen and ink line drawings in the style of a medieval manuscript. And as I started to go through that style uh, that we talked about, the graphic style and all this, I suddenly thought, no, this isn't, this isn't what's needed here. 
and I was in real difficulty. I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, I can't illustrate this. I'm not getting the feeling. There's no, there's no voice in the work. And, um, and then I was in Swansea, uh, you know, two or three years ago, uh, some thing to, there was a, some kind of Dylan Thomas prize or something. I don't know what it was. Um, and, uh, we went round this gallery and there was an exhibition of Katakolovitz's work, uh, who is uh, incredibly, or was an incredibly bleak German printmaker. Some of her images are really graphic as, as a woman has been raped. There's another one of uh, oh, just people suffering, mm. working people, oppressed people. And I looked at these and I thought, that's it. That's what I've got to do. So um, when so the style of the illustrations for King Arthur are drawn from uh, the the heartfelt heart rendering feeling in in Kafka Kolovitz's work. So some of the some of the images used in King Arthur that I've, that I've used are similar to the Gawain ones, that sort of naive lino cut style. But I wanted to contrast those with the Kafka Kolovitz ones uh, so that. Because I think the poet's intention was to to distinguish between the the chivalry and the horrors of war. Mm. So you've got these two these two things coming across with the with the illuminations. So it so but for a while, probably for I don't know six eight months, I was floundering with how to illustrate this work, and it it, it almost didn't move forward because I couldn't I didn't know where I was going to go with it, and uh, and then I found the voice. Wow. And and what um, I mean, perhaps our whole conversation could serve as an answer to this. But what made you pick alliterative Arthur as your your next project, as opposed to um, you know another work of Arthurian literature or, or just another another poem? I was asked by uh, Unbound mm. uh, publisher, "Have you got any more books up, up your sleeve?" And I said, "Well, I suppose it's this." And uh, they said, "Yeah, let's do it." So I. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then it all started from nothing. Uh, so, um, so I think because with with Unbound with Gawain, I was some way down the track with that by that time. Mm. You know, I'd done all those various revisions and had illustrations. All everything was ready. Uh, this I had to start absolutely from scratch, which was which was quite a tricky thing to do. So, all the while I was thinking translation. How am I going to illustrate this? How am I going to get I don't know yet this poem well enough yet, mm. um, but I but it was good discipline. It made me learn fast, as and also made me think about you know future ones. Um, and have you picked up um, any tricks with alliterative verse? I was I was thinking in particular, like it must be so hard to. I mean, I, I don't know whether you sort of do, do it chronologically or not, but to just find break points to go. Like, I'm going to cover this bit. I I try that. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, what's really strange is sometimes you, a piece will go really, really well. You'll move very quickly, and then you'll come along to three lines. And it, this isn't. I can't make sense of this yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I know what it's trying to say, and I think, but I, I've got to say it in the way that the language, that the meter that I've created mm. is will, will say it. And sometimes I walk away, and so for a time, you know, it could. I think it was one time I spent something like. 40 minutes on three lines and I just left it. I walked away. Yeah. Um, but another time uh, you'll find there's a section, you'll read a bit aloud that sings, that really works. And the translation will just zip through and you can do 50 or even hundred lines in an afternoon. 
um, which is when I say an afternoon, that's probably about three hours. Mm, wow. Uh, so it's still a long time to do that translation, but it's um, so that gives you a flavor, doesn't it? Four, four and a half thousand lines of literature, Mortar Arthur, divide by a hundred uh, for, say, a good afternoon. And that's a long time. Just that's just draft one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. Plus the notes and the, all that other stuff. But um, so are, are there any techniques? I mean, it's, I think for me that, that what I like to do now is to read a piece aloud before I start the translating of it mm. and uh, and then read it again. And uh, and then that at least lets you drop in and understand where the break points in the, in the piece might be and the, and the flavour of it might, might occur. Yeah, because it's such a breathless style. Like the units of thought are sometimes quite hard to... Um isolate from from the units of, of rhythm and there's the the end end uh sort of points in the lines uh sometimes you think well actually that's extra detail but it scans so well that you you include it yes uh <laughs> i can't imagine how difficult it is to start start chopping all that up no, and I've got, I mean, one of the one of the things of course that the way i approach these translations which makes it easier for me is uh i choose to use if someone if the if the poet uses the word bernie or greaves or a glaive i don't try and translate that into something else mm. i say what it is uh because that's what it is and then it, it and then i put bernie and glaive and grieve in the uh, glossary mm. at the back and uh so i so my work as you'll have seen with gawain includes a will always include a glossary of words and, and also some detailed notes to, so people can find out more about things or or if something if there's an area for further thought mm. and so the alliterative mort arthur in this instance has is it's got a very uh, got a comprehensive glossary and uh, some really detailed notes so that makes my life a little easier so some of those tricky things that drop into the lines which might cause another translator difficulty uh don't cause them for me because this is a medieval poem. These are medieval words. Keep them. They're understood today by military people. Um, therefore, it's legitimate to, to, to retain them yeah. and describe them. Uh, in your introduction to um, Gawain, you very much praised the, the Gawain poet. I was wondering how, now that you've sort of got to know their writing style, how they compare the two, if you've picked uh, on yeah. stylistic differences between them or little quirks I, I think i think the gawain poet is uh is a class act mm. uh, he's he's um he's someone with um an empathetic heart he understands people really well he understands women really well um i mean okay some people have argued that that poem is ostensibly misogynistic and it could be interpreted as that um but you know, it that's another that's a that's a good debate to have, um, uh, a good discussion to have because it's just one of its many many layers. But the Gawain poet, he, he has such a a real understanding for the spiritual nature of humanity and people and loneliness and the inner soul. I mean, he is, you know, when Gawain's out in those hills. Uh, about to face the uh, green knights and the, the sharpening of that blade uh, and you, what you, you're not really listening to the blade you're thinking about what's going on in his head you know that's a, there's a real skill with that now the Arthur poet 
he's not interested in any of that. Mm. Um, his is much. His style is much blunter. People don't really have feelings, um, except on a martial level. Yeah. With with the exclusion of King Arthur, but King Arthur is shown. Uh, I don't think we really ever feel sorry for King Arthur in this poem. I don't think the poet is trying to make us feel that way. Yeah. We don't we don't really enter Arthur's soul. Um, we 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 almost know it's going to happen to him uh, because of the course of action he's taken. Um, but the Gawain poet, wow! To meet him today, I mean, you know, God. do you know when we um, when we did the performance of Gawain and the Green Knight based on my translation a few years back? Um, it was a bitterly cold winter. The night before the performance, the dress rehearsal, it was minus five inside the church. Uh, and um, and on, on the day itself, I think it was minus three. And all the audience were wrapped up and everything. And as I was walking to this empty church, well, sorry, as I was walking to the church in the emptiness of the night uh, with my friend Anne, who was one of the people that was helping me, all of a sudden this owl suddenly uh hooted and i said that's the gawain poet and she said to me i've never heard that owl here before and so i thought well it certainly is then in that case he's come back yeah that's it so um i think i like to think he's uh some kind of spiritual character um rather than the arthur poet who is uh probably a little bit more coarse Mm, let's put it that way yeah um there's a really interesting um uh something you said in your introduction i found i found really interesting which was that the there was a sense for the gawain poet that he was pairing uh his, his literary process involved pairing the the idea which was the matter of britain the arthurian saga and business with kings with sense which was his style or his yes. his his form of expression and again, I mean, I, I, I'm increasingly thinking that that we are always misled to be somewhat patronising towards medieval writers and to think that they weren't as sophisticated as they are. But that, again, seems very modern, very sort of a kind of Augustan... Well, it makes me think of Alexander Pope and people like that pairing their genius with the subject. Um, is, that tr- is that something... Um, unique to the Gawain poet, or is that true of the medieval writers? I'm not, I don't know whether it's unique to him. I, I have to say, I'm not. I'm not well read enough on the medieval writers to be able to answer that question fully. Um, I mean, it's it certainly. Yeah, I. I, I don't know. Mm. He says, and I'm right. Well, I think. Yeah. I mean, it hang, certainly hangs true, having read the illustrative Arthur, that it, it's going on for him as well. Everything we've said today seems to um, seems to back that up, and with Gawain as well. Maybe, maybe, I've, maybe I've misinterpreted your question. Um, yeah, phrase it in another way, Ash, oh, and I'll okay. answer it again. <laughs> well, <laughs> I suppose then what I mean is that um, there was a sense of a writer's style, an individual style, and that that was valued enough for the for the practice to be about that as opposed to I'm a hired writer and I will tell you the story you already know quite well. Gotcha. Hmm. I think they did have individual styles. uh, And it's, you can, as you say, there is a, there there are two distinct styles between the literature of Mort Arthur and, 
uh, and the Gawain poet. If you read, I suppose, now I haven't read Piers Plowman in Middle English, so I don't know about this, but so, and so the translation I've read of it is, it's a bit, uh, bit iffy, but clearly he has a view and he has a style of his own and a very distinctive style. And, and I love his description of all these people in the Seven Valley wandering about. Uh, you know, these people, they, yeah, they, it wasn't uniform practice of just uh, uh, some kind of poetic form. They, 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 were, they were putting their own personality into these things, mm. certainly. Many of them chose to remain anonymous. Uh, whether William Langland indeed is uh, William Langland, whether he actually, or is somebody else, uh, is, is another matter. Um, but yeah, there is a distinct style, definitely, and um, and of, of, of each of them. And William of Palern, uh, he always says, "I tell you truly, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you that." Mm. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, th they're in there. Yeah, the, the voices, their voice comes out. They're not trying to conform to some greater structure. Yeah. They are free individuals writing. Oh, it's so interesting. Um, I think for for for, for non-Arthurians, the the story of Arthur and the connected stories are almost a, a little bit intangible, and in that everyone's kind of got their own. And the actual the, the the key writers and the key texts are maybe a little bit lost um, within Arthurian literature. Where where does um, the alliterative Arthur sort of stand? Do you think, or maybe perhaps where should it? You know, I'm not. I'm not sure it even has a place in it. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds that's, that's really weird, but um, it, it it's sort of like um, it's like an offshoot somewhere. It's like a branch of a tree that's mm. that's not grown any leaves, uh, uh, or or it's snapped off somehow, and it's just dangling from the trunk. <laughs> um, it's it's not romance. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really enhance any part of the great greater story um it's but it, it's it I, I would see it perhaps more as uh a playing around with a bit of uh jeffrey of monmouth and doing it for its own reasons mm. um and it may account for the fact why it's not really it's not as well known as as it should be but i think in my view it should be it should be read not because it's an arthurian story but for what it says mm. and um because, as I said earlier, you think of the Trumps of this world. Uh, this is this is a book for them. It just shows that it, all this unthoughtful, selfish nonsense uh, will bring only ruin for everybody. And in the case of uh, King Arthur, of course, he turns his country against himself. Uh, he loses his wife uh, to to Mordred. Uh, and he ends up being slain by his own sword of state. You know, mm. that, that, that is the lesson of, of this poem. And it's, it's, it's why I think it's so relevant to today. Uh, life is not, uh, uh, or nation kingship is not about simple columnar ways of doing things. It's uh, a broad, uh, multi-leveled uh, capability. And you either have it or you don't. And I think many of today's leaders, frankly, they haven't, they haven't got a clue. Well, I would love to see Donald Trump made <laughs> made to read this. <laughs> I, 
I'd, I'd love to. I'd love. I'd love to see him suffer its out, suffer the same outcome as well. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, without, that's true. But, but but without any of the pathos. Yeah, you know, I think, I think and many people would be glad to see him gone. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, um, where, can I ask where 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 and when did you learn um, Middle English? Because you you speak it in your videos. I was going to ask if it's if it's not um, putting you on the spot. If you would mind giving us a, a taste, because it was fascinating to listen to. <sighs> Well, I will. I will. I will say for the benefit of your listeners that uh, don't don't listen to me reading and thinking this is the real thing. Uh, there are there are many there are people out there who know exactly what this is all about, and uh, so and who will probably listen to me reading and thinking, oh my god, what what a charlatan. Um, however, what I say is this: if you like to read something and you enjoy it and it's it, and it, you know it's not going to a, going to buy a record player from a really high quality record player shop um they say to you it's not about how much money you've got to spend it's about what you like to hear mm. and um and you know we'll build a record player to suit you and i say that with writing or with reading you you read it how you like so how did i learn it well i didn't learn it uh, i just sort of picked up from listening to people as I've as I've gone along and then found my own way of uh reading this aloud which I enjoy and of course because I have a sort of uh north country accent uh it suits some of the pronunciations of these words really well um so I get a lot of pleasure in in speaking those harsher vowels and uh stuff like that and I'm glad you like it but I'm not claiming any authenticity (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm happy to read some aloud if you if you would like that. I'd love it. I, perhaps it is northern kinship then. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, there's a passage here from the Alliterative Mort Arthur. Now, this is the section where... Uh, so Arthur has returned to England and he's defeated Mordred's uh, fleet off uh, of the south of England. And Gawain has landed early with 70 people and has taken on Mordred's army. And unfortunately, at the end, despite killing in the way of these things, thousands of people, um, he's encircled and ultimately uh, his people must face their, uh, well, what's coming to them. He's completely outnumbered. And then he spots, amongst these people circling him, Sir Gawain spots Sir Mordred. And this is where Gawain uh, meets his end. Then he moves to Sir Mordred, among all his connectors, and met him in the middle and malice him so. But the shalka for the sharp he shunts a little. He shared him on the shorty ribs, a shaft among the large. The shaft shuddered and shot in the sheer berin, that the shed and the blood over his shankriness and showed on the shinder border that was sheer burnest. And so they shift and shove. He shot to the earth. With the lush of the lance, he licked on his shoulders and a ecker length on a lawn, full loathly wounded. Then Gawain girded to the goma and on the groff follies. All his grief was greathed. His grace was no better. He shook us out a shorter canifa, sheathed with silver and should have slotted him in. But no slit happened. His hand slipped and sold or slant on the mailers. And the together, and the t'other slayly slingers him under. 
with a trenchant canifa, the traitor him haters, thorough the helm and the head, on hair on the brain. And thus Sir Gawain is gone, the good man of arms, without in rescue of Renke, and Ruthe is the more. Thus Sir Gawain is gone, that gade many other, fro Gower to Gurnesey, all the great lordes of Glamour, of Gallis Londa, these Galliard connectors, for glent of Glopinning, glad be they never. Wow. Thank you so much for that. That was that was fantastic. Well, I hope I hope I hope whoever wrote it is is uh, listening up there with approval. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fascinating because it um you know we were talking earlier about there being no common tongue. It's I, I thought this listening to your video. It it kind of there's moments where it sounds like a a, a Welsh word. Uh, there's moments yes. that sound very northern. Um, yes. It's a fantastic sort of mix. And if you I was trying to just not think about where you were in the poem and try and just hear each sound as it as it comes and y- you really do get a, a emotive sense for it even if you can't immediately sort of translate word for word and then you get a, a chunk that you can and it, and it sort of pieces yes that's together. right they, they sort of come out don't they it's, yeah uh, I, I i remember being on a train years years ago going to london and uh, there was these two girls talking portuguese uh, and then all of a sudden it says, and then we'll go to John Lewis, and then they carry on in Portuguese. <laughs> yeah, that's I. Yeah, everyone and, must and, have had and, an experience like that. That is how what it's like. It's that snapshot yeah, of um, oh, yeah. that's an English noun randomly yeah, in that's Arabic right. yeah. or something. Yeah, yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's a little bit like that with this. I mean, some of the words are the same; they're spelt differently, like brain, mm. B-R-A-Y-N-E. Uh, but yeah, so they they bits and pieces leap out. And but you're right. I mean, and and when you say it sounds like bits of Welsh and whatever, I mean the point is with with the you know, it's like saying when did the Iron Age end? Mm. Um, uh, it, it, or when did the Bronze Age begin? Uh, where is the end to the West Midlands and the East Midlands dialect? I mean, one of the one of the pleasures I have is if I'm in the North Country. I'll just listen and listen to people talking and work out where they're from. And I'll slowly but surely tick off different towns and come down to a, a locality because people pronounce very small, people in one area have very small differences, which enable you to place them at the back end of Warrington mm. or the other side of Altrincham. You know, yep. it's, it's just like that, really. Um, yeah, and so that's what it's like with this. So, so in Gawain, for example, the word "yow." I mean, that for me, that's uh, it's like a Yorkshire, you know, "yow" and "yo." Yeah, and, it, and, <laughs> and that's not, whereas "yo" is not really a, a way that Lancashire people speak, uh, you know, or, or Cheshire people. That'd be "you," but uh, I, you know, uh, but years ago, in the, I think what, what was copy comic was it the topper or the beano there was a there was a, one of these patronizing northern characters called called e bagoom and the, that was the name of the character and it was e and then ba and then g double o m now no one i know says bagoom mm. they say by gum by gum but they don't say by goom yeah. i mean it's just it's always some southern so-and-so Thinking you 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 spell gum yeah. with two O's. If you're going to be uh, you know. patronising, get it right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or just or just go away. Yeah. Or just but, don't. Uh... 
Oh, well, Mike, yeah. this has been so... Uh, we, I realise I've taken up an enormous amount of your time now. It's been, it's been about over an hour and a half. Um, Not at all. It's been really enjoyable. Yeah, I've, I've absolutely loved it. Um, I want to talk about where people can get your book and your upcoming book. But just before we get to that, I've sorry mm. to put you on the spot again, but I'm trying to make a kind of tradition with guests to ask them... Do it. Do to, it. <laughs> to to <laughs> If they can recommend a sort of rela- a further reading book, if you like. So so not one of the key texts we've been mentioning, like Gawain and the alliterative Arthur, unless there's a very particular version, um, but maybe a, a book of historical fiction that's assisted or just been very enjoyable to read that's connected to the period or maybe a book of straightforward research or poetry or oh. anything like that. Gee, um, where's... Like I, I mean, say, sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the world's greatest fiction reader. Mm. Um, so now, um, ooh, now, let me think. I mean, uh, um, there's, there's, a, there's a Yale book biography by uh, Saul. I think it's Richard Saul uh, mm. on... on well, maybe not be Richard Saul. His surname is Saul on Richard II, a very readable biography of Richard oh. II. And that's, uh, and very authoritative as well. The reason I, 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 I suggested is because uh, for me, the translating of these poems, it's about putting them in their historical context. And I think a lot of these poems are particularly, particularly relate to the time of Richard II. And, uh, and also because, because he's this sort of slightly fey king, you know, Shakespeare mm. portrays him as such. Of course, he was a boy king, he was a tyrant to the tail end. So quite a complicated character. And if you see him as sort of like almost like a, a kingly metaphor for these poems, uh, then Saul's book on, on Richard II is, is, is well worth reading. Brilliant. Well, I'm, I, I'm sold. I'm going to check that one out, definitely. Um, I just can't remember, his, you know, can't remember his first name. Richard, David. It's not David Soul. That's, uh, that's Darskin Hutch, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the, what what a the, career move. <laughs> yeah you never thought it would you yeah i think i think with yale i'll uh i'll be able to find it and i'll i'll pop it in the description for people um to yes. find Woodside. Uh, yeah, do so. down. along okay. with of course um the links where people can find your books now um gawain is already out but yes currently sold out is that right it's sold out yes it's it's uh i love the way that amazon, oh, amazon just said uh, amazon says it's currently unavailable but <laughs> It is available, but only through me. Uh, so um, I have stock of the book. I've got two versions, actually, the standard copy, or when we produce the first run with Unbound, uh, there's a, a small set of deluxe copies, which oh. have uh, bound in uh, bookmarks. And uh, on the particularly nice feature, if you take off the book jacket, there is an embossed Gawain star on the on the boards which is not in on the standard edition so you can buy the the standard edition uh in uh, kindle but i uh, and it's available on amazon but i i just don't think you'll get any pleasure reading this book with its illustrations in a kindle format um i mean that's up to the customer of course mm. but um I, I, for me the pleasure of a book with illustrations uh and of this type is to hold it in your hand and, yeah um, well, I, I I got the Kindle version and read your introduction and notes, but I I, I wonder if, uh, having uh, just slagged it off. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it, it 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 sold me on wanting to get a physical version because you're right. Okay. I want to see okay. those illustrations close up, and uh, so yeah, yeah I, I'll I mean, be so I'll be signing up for one. Um, so I people think, well, need to go onto your website for that. They do, yes. Yeah. Um, 
mythical brit www.mythicalbritain.co.uk um and there's a there's a shop there uh yeah and there's also all my prints on there as well but that's that's by the by but the books are all available through me and if you're in the uk i send them first class post free so um you know so it's it's just as good as amazon except i sign your copy for you and dedicate (laughs) it as well Great. Well, and also people can um, now I'm hoping this is going to come out on Friday, the 26th. I have an awful track record of saying something like that on this podcast and it coming out months later, but I'm determined to stick to this one. OK. Um, uh, well, actually, th- this particular episode will will maybe come out on the 27th, but our main conversation will come out on the 26th and that will have all the same information in. But if you're listening to this on the 27th, then you've still got is it three days, Mike? Three days, yes. Um, so, with the, with as with Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, I, I published the books through Unbound, who are a crowdfunding publisher, and um, people who pledge for uh, their copy before the cutoff date have their name printed in the back as a patron, and the cutoff date for uh, the alliterative Mort Arthur, King Arthur's death, is the thirtieth of June. Uh, so it's a tight squeeze. Uh, but if you fancy supporting the book and having your name in the back, uh, then please pledge before the 30th. But you, it's available after that date as well. The actual book publishes in February 2021. But I believe that if you pledge for the book, your copies will be arrive possibly before Christmas. But mm. you know, I, I, I hope that's the case. But either way, you'll get them much earlier than uh, than those who buy through the trade later on when it's actually released brilliant well mike thank you so much for um uh today it's been so much fun oh it's been an absolute pleasure ash yes thank you i mean it's uh, uh, quite a grilling you've given me there actually which is uh... <laughs> oh, sorry to sorry to put you through that <laughs> <laughs>